So uh, this, is, this is the third and final uh, week on parenting. What we've been doing, this has been a, basically a, an exercise in Christian worldview. So uh, it, the, what the Bible does is it basically tells you a story of the world. Uh, and there's kind of four acts to it. There's creation. God made the world. He made it good. And he, it was blessed humanity, gave them food and the plants and the birds and everything. And then humanity fell. Humanity was alienated from God. That's the second act, the fall. And so uh, we, are all, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, uh, and so God has, the next act is that God has redeemed a people for himself. That's what the main storyline of the Bible is, is God gathering a people together to himself, primarily through Jesus. Um, that through Jesus, we're all gathered here as God's new family, uh, basically a new humanity. What God is doing is forming through Jesus. Jesus is kind of like there was the first Adam, and now Jesus is the second Adam. And he's forming a new humanity through Jesus until at the end of the story, God makes all things right and wipes away every tear and uh, makes the world how, to his you know, complete goal, how things were always meant to be. And so what that is is a four-part uh, creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. There's four parts to that. And what we did was the first week we looked at creation and how, how does the doctrine of creation shape how we raise our children? Well, it says that they're a blessing to us. God made them. They're a gift. The first truth about our kids is not that they're sinners. The first truth is that they're blessings from God. They're a gift from God to us. And that should shape how we treat them. But the second truth is that both our kids and us as parents, we're, uh, we are all us sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all disobey. How does that shape it? Now this week, once we have those two, play, two things in order, now we come to the last part of redemption. How does the fact that God has brought us into a people, saved us into a people, made us his children, how does that impact the lives of our little children and how we see them and how we raise them and how we talk to them? And, um, and so really it's a question of how do we raise our children in the Christian faith? Right? I mean, a lot of what I've said so far, there's a lot of it that is distinctly uh, Christian. But, you know, you could maybe apply it if you're not a Christian. What do, what do we, how do we raise our kids to love Jesus and to know God's promises to them? And so um, I'll tell you that actually when I began this series, I was getting ready before my first sermon. I asked my kids, Lucy and Will, I said, what, if, what do I really need to tell parents? If they're going to be raising kids the way God wants them to, what do I need to tell them? And unflinchingly, both of them said, uh, they need to teach their children about Jesus and they need to pray for them. And you might think, oh yeah, they're pastor's kids, you know, they've got, they've got the pat answer, but I, I, don't, I think you're wrong. I don't think it's because they're pastor's kids. Okay, Jesus says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says that children um, are are wired, they have a sense of wonder, and uh, that they are the models to us of having an expectation to know God and to have a relationship with him and to have a sense of purpose that there is a God and the, mean, the world is charged with beauty and wonder and, and love and goodness and purpose. They get that. They want to know about God. They want you to tell them. And, uh, and I'll, you know, I'll say Jesus is actually quite serious about that. Um, some of you know that he says that if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better if a big rock was <laughs> hung around your neck and you were thrown in the ocean. So Jesus is quite serious about let these children come to me and show them the promises of God. 
And, um, and so what I want to say is that a huge, something that's so important so, and actually so practical about parenting is to know the promises of God to us as parents for our children. God has made promises to us about our children, and, it, and they're littered throughout Scripture. I, I've put one for you in your bulletin, Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commands to a thousand generations. God's grace runs in the lines of generations. That's one of the ways that he intends his grace to, to reach people is through, gener- is through generations. And you might think, oh, that's quite a bit of hyperbole. Oh, if you're a Christian, you're going to have a thousand generations. You know, I sometimes think about how many people... Would that be a thousand generations is, the, you know, the exponential growth? But, you know, I'll tell you, I, I came from a family. I, I didn't, my parents didn't go to church. I, I, I didn't go to church growing up. And my parents didn't go to church growing up. Their parents were uh, uh, not believers, uh, some of them atheists. And, um, and me and my brother, we were both um, unflinching atheists, you know, uh, dedicated atheists. And basically, out of nowhere, in this family that had no connection to church or anything, God transformed my life, uh, drew me to himself, and, and, and actually, in the course of time, has drawn my brother to himself, and both my parents are Christians. <laughs> and you might say, what, what happened? You know, why, did, why did God do that? Well, um, if you go into my parents' house, uh, they have a little stair, you know, you walk in the front door, there's a stairwell that goes down, downstairs, and there's a giant, um, you know, pro- maybe three by four painting, an old portrait of this old, it's a dark painting of this old man, he's got a cane, he's got these little round glasses, and apparently he's my great, great, you know, grandfather, uncle, or something like that, and just re- in the last few years, we dug up some old bio of this guy, <laughs> It turns out here he is, a Presbyterian elder <laughs> uh, who was just a blessing to his community, a leader in his community, serving his community. And it, it turned, you know, why is all, you know, why, why has God all of a sudden injected himself, inserted himself into our family, into my life, into my parents' life? I mean, for one reason, it's just God's grace. It's God's kindness to us. But also, I have a good feeling God is making good on some promises to, I got some generations back that he's making good to those promises that I'm going to be a God to you and to your children to a thousand generations. And even though those generations were steering away, God has come after him to make good on his promises. And, um, and so what that means, I think, is that um, it's important that as we think about parenting, parenting is not something, you know, we often think that it's, it's something that we do with kind of wishful thinking. I, I hope things turn out well with my kid. I hope my kid is a decent person. I hope that they love God, um, that they have a relationship with God, and that they teach their children. And, but it's kind of, who knows, you know? Who can, who can say? Parenting is just like everything else in our life. It is something that we do by faith. It is something we do by resting and trusting in the promises of God, knowing what the promises of God, God are and resting in them. And when we do that, it actually it, it shapes how we see our children, how we talk to them, and uh, so what I want to do is, um, as we go through this last sermon, I just want to say a, a couple things on how God's promises to us and to our children um, shape our parenting. And, and I want to say two things. First of all, that our, our children's identity comes from the promises of God. 
you know, the, the question, who am I? The identity question of our kids should be, fundamentally, we should see that their identity is shaped by the promises of God. And secondly, what that means, therefore, is that we need to teach our children the promises of God. We need to teach them. So our, our children's identity is, is, comes from the promises of God, and so we need to teach it to them. So, first, our children's identity comes from the promises of God. Now, in our culture, I, I don't know if this is your experience, but my experience is that the question of identity is a very big topic. You know, you may have heard me talk about it. You may have heard about it in other sermons. Um, or, or if you've been in a psychology or sociology class, or if you've gone through any kind of counseling or therapy or anything like that, this, this is a big question in our culture um, uh, because um, uh, of answering this question, who am I? And, um, and in traditional cultures, you know, in a traditional culture, if, when you grow up, basically your identity is given to you. It's something that's defined and handed to you based on your, you know, your family. You know, your dad's a dairy farmer, so you're going to be a dairy farmer, right? That, your calling is kind of, it, you're, it's adopted from your dad. Or your, my parents, they were Lutheran, and we grew up in in Germany in the Lutheran part, and so we're Lutherans, and, or we're Catholics, or, or we're Muslims. And uh, your identity being shaped is, is, in a traditional culture, it's basically handed to you and defined by your cultural heritage and by your family. In our culture, you know, especially in the United States, but especially in a place like Bellingham, uh, you know, the West Coast, which is, was settled by people who left their families, left their homeland, and to go define a new life for themselves. That, that's, that's our values. Is you, is you, your identity cannot be defined by someone else. You can't, you're going to be missing out on who you really are if you're kind of put in the cage of your traditional culture. And so we live in a culture where it actually says you need to find out who you are. The biggest thing that you have to do in your life is discover yourself, right? And, uh, and you know, there's, there's some good things to that. There's some things of breaking out of your culture and finding out who you are. But um, especially for our generation, my generation, um, this has created a lot of uh, anxiety and complexity for people. Let me, uh, let me just read to you. I read an article about a year ago in this kind of urban arts magazine, um, and the article was called Welcome to Your Quarter-Life Crisis. Um, and uh, let me just read to you a portion of it describing what a, a quarter-life crisis is. He bikes to work at an advertising agency where he uses his master's in English to proofread ad copy and spends several hours reading music blogs and watching movie trailers, periodically twittering updates about his workday to his 74 followers. He doesn't really hate his job, but he feels as if his skin is crawling with vermin most of the time that he's there. So he plans to move to Thailand or to maybe write a book or go to law school. He listlessly works through lunch, then goes to the bar after, after work to meet with some university friends where they talk about their jobs and make ironic jokes about other people. Back at home, he wonders why he feels so gross and empty after spending time with them, but it's mostly better than being alone. This phenomenon, known as the quarter-life crisis, is as ubiquitous as it is intangible. Unrelenting indecision, isolation, confusion and anxiety about working, relationships, and direction is reported by people in their mid-20s to early 30s who are usually urban, middle-class, and well-educated. 
Now, this is, this is the key right here. They can't make any decisions because they don't know what they want. And they don't know what they want because they don't know who they are. And they don't know who they are because they're allowed to be anyone they want. Let me read that again. They can't make any decisions because they don't know what they want. And they don't know what they want because they don't know what the, who they are. And they don't know who they are because they're allowed to be anyone they want. So you see this is the radical opposite of a traditional culture. Is you're not given anything. And you're supposed to kind of go into every other little culture and piece things together. And you make your identity into kind of a mosaic that's pieced together of all kinds of identities that you pick up. And so tradition puts you in a cage and says, you've got to fit this mold, you've got to conform. And then our culture says, finding your own identity leaves you with nothing. And you can't make decisions. You don't know who you are. And so which, what is the Bible? Which is the Bible? Is it traditional or is it American? It's neither, right? Are you expecting that? It's, it's not either of those. And uh, because a traditionalist culture is saying that my family, my cultural heritage is God. It defines me. And America is saying, the individual, I am my own God, and I define myself. The Bible says that only the promises of God, knowing God, what God, who God says we are, defines who we are and gives us an identity. And so um, that's key for our children to know um, how do we not just leave them aimless in the world, but also not make them conform to our cultural identity as we're pointing them towards the promises of God. And... Um, you know, I'll tell you, if you've been around our church for very long, you've probably seen a little baby getting some water splashed on them, baptizing babies. And I know for some of you that might be a very strange, uh, you know, thing to, to encounter. Maybe, you've, maybe you think that uh, baptizing babies is kind of a cultural phenomenon. You know, in Western Europe, they, they have just loads of churches everywhere that are empty. No one goes to them. No one believes in Jesus. No one believes in the Bible. But still, there's places where everyone, when they have a baby, they take them to the church and they get them baptized. It's kind of a cultural thing that, you know, everyone does. And, uh, and maybe you've grown up in settings like that where you had a family and they baptized the babies, but, you know, no one really believed in, any, in, in anything they were doing. And you might say, you know, why are you baptizing the baby? The baby isn't, doesn't know what's going on. They're not even going to remember this. Uh, you know, what's the point of this? Why don't you wait till they're an adult? Let them decide if they want to be Christians or not, and then they can decide to get baptized. Well, let me just tell you that I think that little act of baptism, baptizing a baby, is, in my experience of being a parent, is tremendously practical. It shows up every day of my parenting life of how I treat my kids as baptized, uh, baptized Christians. Okay, now I'm going to explain what I mean by that. Why should we... Because what we're doing, when we're baptizing a baby, we're putting an identity on them. Baptism is a symbol of all the promises of God. And what the Bible says, that the promises that God has made to me are true for my children too. He's made them for me and for my children. And, and so the first thing I want to say is that, that treating our children that way is scriptural. It's, it's biblical. God always treats the children of believers as part of his people. They are included as his people. So you can see this uh, in your bullet. Uh, um, well, actually, let me say this. First of all, this is true in the, uh, in the Old Testament. Um, in the story of Abraham, God chooses Abraham, and he calls him out of his homeland, and he takes him to the promised land, and he's just pouring promises on him. And then God says to Abraham, um, and Abraham believes God. And, and so God says to Abraham, okay, all these promises I'm giving to you, they're true for your children. 
So I'm going to give you circumcision as a, as a sign and a seal of all the promises I'm, I'm making to you. And now I want, to take, you want you to take your eight-day-old son, Isaac, and I want you to circumcise him. And all the pro- what that's meaning is the sign of all the promises is not just for you, but it's also for your children. And you might say, well, that, you know, that was in the Old Testament, you know, where it was the Jews and it was kind of a, a family thing. The faith was a fi- family thing. Well, look at Acts 2. This is printed in your bulletin, Acts 2, 38 and 39. This is Peter's kind of first sermon at Pentecost. And uh, he tells all these 3,000 people about Jesus and the Holy Spirit convicts their hearts. And they say, what should we do? And, Peter, and it says that Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The promises are, ju- are for us and for our children. And actually later in Acts, you find that uh, the Philippian jailer, he's a guy, he meets Paul when, when he's in prison and he becomes a Christian. And it says that his whole, ba- his whole family, his whole household was baptized. Because the promise was not just to him, but it was also to his children. So there's scriptural, and I could go into more kind of uh, uh, scriptural argument for why we should baptize children. But let me just say, more importantly, I think that treating, understanding that our, the promises that God has given to us are true for our children is tremendously practical. Okay, uh, you know, I, I went to seminary in, in St. Louis. Um, I, you know, I'm a Presbyterian. It's a Presbyterian seminary, and there was uh, a lot of Southern uh, students there that were from the South. My denomination's largely in the South. And, um, and, they, uh, and one of the things that was a Interesting to me, there was a phenomenon where, you know, there was a, quite a lot of people going through counseling who were, who'd grown up in the church. They, uh, they had, you know, memorized scripture all growing up. And now they're 25, they're 30, they're 35, and they're going to counseling. And they have this idea that what it means to be a Christian is that I do all kinds of good things. I don't swear. I go to church. I uh, read my Bible. I pray. Um, I obey my parents. I do my homework. And basically, God wants us to perform for, for him. That's, that was their understanding of who God was. They'd grown up in the church. And they're saying, God wants me to work for his love. And so now they're going to counseling. And the counselor's like, no, you need to understand that you are saved purely uh, um, by grace through faith. Jesus lived the life that you should have lived and died the death that you should have died. God loves you freely. Uh, God does not deal with you according to your sin, but according to his steadfast love and faithfulness. And so they're going through counseling, and they're trying to understand, like, okay, so I've been trying to perform for God, prove myself to God, but actually he wants to love me freely. And the big question is, okay, why are we starting that kind of, and, and what they'll, in counseling they'll say that they're trying to get, understand their identity in Christ, that I have an identity in Christ that God loves me, not because of, of, of my good works, but because of Jesus' good works for me. And so the question is, why are we starting when they're 25 to give them that, that identity? Why are we starting when they're 30 or 35? Or why are we starting when they go to camp and they become a Christian? And what happens is, in the church, we, we, we have these kids that come in and we say, well, are they Christians or are they not Christians? Well, they're kind of Christians. You know, they're in church. They come to church every week. We're teaching them the gospel. They're kind of Christians. But, you know, they're not old enough to accept Jesus, so we've got to wait until they convert. And so what we, we treat them as half-Christians. 
And we give them all the rules of the Bible, and we say, you need to obey your parents, and you need to be a good little, you need to, you know how good Christian boys and girls act, you need to act like that. But we don't give them any of the promises. We don't tell them they have the Holy Spirit. We don't cover them and pour on them that you're going to be with Jesus forever. God has chosen you from before the foundations of the earth and has filled you with his spirit. And, uh, and God has forgiven all of your sins. We, the, th- the main thing they hear is the rules. And so, you know, they'll memorize Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents. But they won't get any of the rest of Ephesians, right? <laughs> that they have every spiritual blessing in Christ, that God chose them, that God has planned good works for them for their whole life. And, uh, and they just have to walk in them, and they have to trust God. And so that, w- let me just say, this is a big thing to me, of that the big message we want to send to our kids is that the Bible is about the promises of God and what God has done for us, not what we are doing for God. And the way to do that is, is to really treat them as Christians. Now listen, do they have to grow up and accept, you know, internalize the faith for themselves? And do they need to not be dependent on me for their faith? And are they going to grow and are they going to have experiences? Of course. If an adult came into this church and they said, I want to be a Christian and I baptize them, they'd still have to grow. They might turn away later on. But when they come in here, what am I going to do when I baptize them? I'm going to say... I'm going to cover you with the promises of God. That's what you need to grow, is to know that God is for you. And so let me just say that that's, uh, it's an attitude towards our children, that our children's identity is that they have all the promises of God, and we should be sp- speaking them to them, and, and that's how we form who they are. Now, what that's going to do also is that's going to shape them to have a sense of mission in their life. I mean, I'm telling this to my kids all the time, you know, God is going to call you to do something, to, to love someone, to show someone the love of Christ, or he's going to ask you to do something that's hard, um, to serve him, and what are you going to do? And I let them tell me, I'm going to obey him. I, he, I have a mission, I got it, and I tell him, God's chosen you to be a light to the world. You are a light to show the world the love of Christ. There are going to be people that you're going to meet, and God has appointed you to be in their life to show them God's love. It's preparing them for a mission. They have purpose, and um, they're born with that. That's not something they get when they go to camp and they become a Christian in high school. It's something from day one. We're saying, when I baptize this baby, from day one, you're being covered with an identity. And so let me just say, what does that mean? (laughs) Is is that traditionalist? It's not traditionalist because what we're saying is we're telling them, you're you're not going to stay in our little family and in our little uh, cultural heritage. You've got to go out. God's going to send you out to go do things. You've got to obey God. That might mean leaving me. So this isn't a traditional uh, picture. It's also, but it's not an American picture. It's not figure out your own identity. It's not look in your own heart to find out who you are. It's hear who God says you are and act out of that. Okay? So um, that might be a bit uh, conceptual, um, how do we as parents do that? How do we teach them the promises of God? How do we communicate that to them? How do they see that? Well, let me just say a few things about that. Um, the first way that we teach our children the promises of God is first by example. They, they need to see it. Um, I, I put a, a passage for, for you from uh, 1 Corinthians 4. Um, And this is Paul talking about being a spiritual father to the Corinthian church. And he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, 
you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. So to be a spiritual father, he says, um, watch, watch my life. And what that means is that a big part of being a parent and, and communicating the faith to our children is it's something, for the most part, that they see in us. And uh, that means that even just things, being at church, worshiping. You know, I was talking to a gal this last year, and she was just saying she, became a, uh, she knew she was a Christian very early on, and she wanted to be a Christian very early on. And she remembers seeing her dad worshiping in church or worshiping in their house. And that had a, a huge impact to see, wow, my dad loves God, and God's real watching that. And so um, seeing us um, coming in fellowship, building relationships in church, worshiping God, being involved in a home group, uh, in prayer, studying God's word together, this picture to the children is by far the most important way that we communicate to our children uh, the promises of God is seeing someone who trusts, you know, you're an embodiment of a faithful life. And, you know, I mean, other things are... um, um, you know, important as well in terms of, uh, you know, actually, let me just say this. I, I, I had a, a buddy in, um, in seminary who, uh, he was a youth pastor or something in a local church, and he had said to me that, that he could actually see the kids that really had a, you know, really were interested in the Bible, asking honest questions about the Bible, and really kind of digging into it. He could see that they're the ones who had parents that were doing that. And they were just mimicking their parents. And, and on the same way, parents who was kind of a compartment of their life, you know, where uh, church is just something I kind of do on the side. It's not, it doesn't uh, um, kind of influence everything I do. The children were that way. And uh, so what that means is they're, they're watching us. And I'll, I'll, there's, there's actually a very, this is especially true for fathers. Um, there's a very interesting um, research that was done in Switzerland. I, I, it was published in 2003 about um, the effect that a mother and a father have on a child's religious upbringing. And what the research found that is that in a family where um, basically the father is uninvolved in the faith, uninvolved in church going or anything like that, but the mother was very involved, only 2% of children when they became adults would, uh, would be believers or would be involved in church, only 2%. If you switched it, if you said you had a father who was actively involved in the church, was a believer, had a, a, a kind of a, a faith that was alive, but the mother was non-practicing, uninvolved, didn't believe, 44% of the children as adults believed. That's a 22 times more likely. And so what that means, and, and you know, that's very much how the, how the Bible teaches, is that the father has that kind of spiritual authority and power in a, in, in a family. So that means his fathers, especially fathers, and some of you, you guys might say, gosh, I'm learning. I, I want to be faithful. I, I don't feel that in me. I want to be a good dad. I want to be a spiritual authority. And, and uh, let me just say that it begins just have it be a habit of your life, worshiping, being involved, serving in the church, that kinds of thing. You don't have to be superhero dad. But if they see an authentic faith in you, it, it matters tremendously. So an example is, is the, first, uh, the first way that we teach. Secondly, we teach our children the promise of God by having it, teaching it to them all the time. Um, it's something that we're constantly doing to them. You know, spiritual matters are coming up all the time, especially with young children. When you have young children, uh, every time you're disciplining them, 
You're talking about sin. You're talking about the promise of God. How do you deal with sin when kids are fighting with each other? You're talking about reconciliation and loving each other. And, and they need the promises of God to understand how to work through those things. Watching TV. You know, every, when you're watching TV, if you're kind of alert to what are the messages that are being sent here, use those opportunities to talk to your kids. And especially, don't just focus on morals. You know, oh, you see that guy on the TV is lying lying's bad. You know, if that's all they hear about the Christian faith is lying's bad and, you know, uh, don't murder people and don't steal or something, that, there's no life in that. The life is in the promises of God. You know, we watched a movie, um, uh, How to Train a Dragon. I don't know how many of you have seen that. You know, it's this movie about these Vikings that hunt dragons. And the whole movie is about all this, this gang of dragons that, you know, are terrorizing these people. And it turns out that there's this one giant dragon that is, is enslaving all the other dragons to do bad things. And so the whole story is about going and killing the big dragon to free the other dragons to become, you know, uh, nice pets and things like that. You know, you look at that story, you see that's, you know, you watch that, that's an opportunity to say to your kids, that's what Jesus did. There, the evil one has, uh, has um, got a hold of, of enslaving people um, in their lives, and Jesus went after the big dragon, and he crushed his head, and he stomped on him, and he's defeated him, and he's setting people free, and look, he set us free, and now we get to go out and love people and be a part of what he's doing. See, that's totally different than don't lie. You know, what has more life to it? You know, when you give them a picture of the gospel and the promise of God, you're telling your kids they're living in a story that they're living out, and you know, kids will bring it up. They'll bring up spiritual things all, you know, just this week, um, I, I was leaving for work, and I made a little fort for Lucy and Will and put a little blanket over the chairs. And uh, as I was leaving, Lucy came to tell me, you know, I, Dad, since you made the fort, you're, you're allowed to invite anyone you want into the fort, except for Satan. You can't invite Satan. I was like, okay, I won't invite Satan. He wasn't on my list, okay? Uh, the, uh, you know... Good, you know, that's, and it comes up all, there's all these little things, there's all these little opportunities to talk to our kids about the faith, and the main thing that we want to tell them is God's promises. He does not deal with you according to your sin, but according to his steadfast love and faithfulness. He's filled you with his spirit. You're going to be with him forever. We're going to be with Jesus forever. And uh, he's called you, um, he has prepared good works, ways for you to love people. He's already prepared them for you. And you just need to walk in them and trust him. And that's the picture that you're painting for them. It's not morals, but the promises of God. And, uh, you know, you see this in Deuteronomy 6. Um, This is the picture, this kind of throughout your day, talking to your children. Um, uh, This is Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. All these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so this is actually all kind of imagery of saying, you know, as often as you're kind of walking in and out of your houses, you should wear God's promises like they were clothes on you. They should just be everyday things to you. They shouldn't just be something they learn in Sunday school class. It's something that's littered throughout your life. And that's how you shape their identity in the promises of God. Now, um, and let me just say one thing about, you know, how do I do that? Some of you might say, well, gosh, you're a pastor. You know all these promises. And, um, 
you know, how do I know what to say? How did I know to see that in the movie? That that was actually about Jesus stepping on <laughs> Satan's head, you know? How, how did I know that? Well, let me just tell you, that means as a parent, you do need to have a reservoir of, of understanding of, of the gospel in you. It has to be inside of you so that it's just pouring out. So that, that does have a part. And, and so stick with the things that you're learning. If there are things that, ways that God's promises are really hitting you, pass those on to your kids. This is what, you know, as you see them struggling with something you're struggling with, how are you applying the gospel to that? Apply the gospel to them in that way. So um, it definitely needs to be something that's in you. Well, let me say one last, one last way that, uh, in terms of teaching our children the promises of God, and this is through education. Um, now, uh, if you've been around here for the last few months, you know that we've, uh, I have a, a heart for and a dream for our church to start a school someday. And, um, and I'll tell you, um, actually, we, we, uh, we were planning about a year from now to, to start a school, but we had a congregational meeting. If some of you weren't there, we had a congregational meeting about the school, which I think was a really good congregational meeting. We talked a lot about the vision, why we're hoping to do this. And I think we took some steps forward in that sense of, of uh, I think people were really excited about that prospect. But we were just deciding we need to get this church kind of stable and, and organized and get elders and stuff in place before we take that step. But um, let me just say the education is, is a huge part of our children's development. I mean, you think of how many hours in a day they're both in school and doing homework, how much that's shaping their vision of the world. And one of the things that, you know, I've made a point to say that there's going to be people in our church who are uh, going to be choosing a variety of options for how they're going to educate their kids. There's going to be people who are going to be in public schools. They're going to say, you know, I have a calling to be salt and light, in, in, and I can't just abandon my local school. I need to be in there. And, uh, and, and of course, that's a big task to say, okay, I still need to train my children and to, uh, teach them the gospel and know what they're learning there because a, a public school education is not a neutral education. It's, uh, in many ways, it's antithetical to, to a Christian worldview. So we've got to be aware of the ways that it's doing that. You know, you can still go to, you know, I'm a public school dropout, and, you know, I'm not a complete idiot. You know, the, um, I, I know a few things, so I uh, don't know. The, uh, you know, I actually, I, I, you can come out being very bright, um, faithful Christian going through public school, uh, and, but being aware that I still have, in the midst of that, I need to train my children and teach them. Some of you are going to say, you know, I want to be more involved in my, parent, in my child's life. I'm going to homeschool them, and I, I want to be the one to teach them. And, uh, and that's a great opportunity to, um, and, and as a homeschooler, you're going to have to, you know, prepare yourself the other way that your child has a calling not to just stay in your family, but to go out and be a light in the world and to be salt and light in the world and not to just be harbored from, uh, uh, from you know, the dangers of the world, but you're, you're actually equipping them to be sent out. And so you'll have to be aware, uh, prepared for that. Another way um, is Christian education. And uh, this is something that I'm passionate about. I, I, I'm, I'm a person that I really care about the Christian mind, developing the Christian mind, being Christian thinkers, understanding a Christian worldview. And I think that the Lord is going to create an opportunity for us as a church um, to play a role of that in Bellingham as a whole and for our children. And so I, I know that that's not going to be the choice for all of you, but um, that's something that each one of you as a, as a, uh, as a parent, you need to think through how are we raising our children and equipping them uh, to serve God in the world? And I'll tell you, um, again, you know, I, I, not to 
over-focus on the fathers, but um, Ephesians 6.4 says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And actually, that word discipline, it's the word paideia, which in the ancient Greco-Roman world, the, pa- the paideia was basically an educational system of uh, training up a child and forming them to embody the ideals of a Greco-Roman culture. And here, Paul is saying that fathers have the responsibility to make sure that their children are, are growing up um, so that they are an embodiment of, of the gospel and that they learn the gospel. And so that means, especially as fathers, you need to be involved in uh, decisions about your children's education. And, you know, and that doesn't mean you do everything. You know, our, we're going to be homeschooling Lucy this year. I'm not reading every piece of curriculum and, you know, know every single thing that's going on. Ms. Shannon uh, is, is more hands-on in that, but I'm involved. I know what's going on. I have opinions about things. And, um, and so I, I'm, I'm ex- that's an important thing for us as families, but it's also an important thing for us as a church. As we think about training up children, um, that we may have the opportunity to start school and um, to form children who know the promises of God from very early on, and they're equipped to be lights in the world. And um, so this is a big calling as parents. And so I, I just want you to know that you're, it's not just your kids that are coded in promises. You, God has poured out his promises on you. Trust in those. Rest in those. Your kids are going to sin. They're going to do things you don't like. Keep going back to the promises of God and tell them to God. This is what you've promised. And, um, and I think uh, I'm excited to see all these kids grow up and see what God does with them in the world. So let's pray together. Our Lord, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for promises you give to us as parents. You know how weak we are, how much we struggle, how many doubts we have. I pray that you would give us words, uh, give us opportunities to teach our children. We know that those opportunities where their hearts are still and they're uh, paying attention and listening and, and eager to hear about you, that we would use those opportunities and you'd give us those words. And uh, so we just depend on you and depend on your promises. And um, we give you thanks for all these children and what a blessing they are to us. In Jesus' name, amen.